bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, December 15th, 2020. Yesterday, the Electoral College met and formally cast votes for president, which means Joe Biden is now officially the president-elect. Meanwhile, Congress is discussing two very important bills. The first is a continued resolution to fund the government after last week's one-week extension. And I say continued resolution, but we actually expect there to be some type of omnibus spending bill, and you'll hear more about that in a moment. The second is potential COVID-19 relief bill. Now, both of these bills could include provisions that would significantly affect those in the affordable housing, community development, historic preservation, and renewable energy communities. And I should note, we talk about these two bills, but then there's also tax extenders, which could be part of this more comprehensive package. Now, in today's podcast, I'm very pleased to have joining me once again, Peter Lawrence. Peter, as you likely know, is Novogratz Director of Public Policy and Government Relations. Peter was on with us a couple of times in November to discuss the election results and their implications. Peter keeps us being on the pulse of what's happening in Washington, D.C. in the area of community development. And he has seen a few presidential transitions and many end-of-the-year legislative crunches. So he has a great perspective to help us know what to be watching. Now, today, we're going to discuss the important legislation in the Landex session of Congress. And we're also going to discuss two of President-elect Biden's cabinet appointments or nominations. Now, there's a lot to cover today. So if you're ready, let's get started. Now, Peter, thank you again for joining us on the podcast today. We're going to talk about President-elect Biden's appointments to lead the Treasury and HUD in a little bit. But I can't help but start by asking you to give me the latest update on the funding bill for the federal government and what we should know right now. Please share your thoughts. Thank you, Mike. And thanks for inviting me again. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to talk to your podcast listeners. So right now, as we're talking and as of this recording, negotiations are heating up on both uh, a omnibus legislation to keep the government funded past the current expiration date, which last week was extended from this past Friday to this upcoming Friday. We do expect that a deal may be announced sometime tomorrow on the legislation. And so there are, as folks who are very attuned to the annual spending bill process, there are 12 annual spending bills that Congress considers. And very often, especially this time of year, they're combined together into what's called an omnibus. Some of these 12 spending bills may be have a, a, a further continuing resolution, essentially continuing the same funding levels from past fiscal year going forward. But the ones we understand for Treasury and HUD and eight others, we expect to be packaged into an omnibus. And I think there's a good chance that we'll have a resolution on that front. And that's important, of course, as we've talked to before, because that omnibus, along with the COVID-19 relief, which we'll talk about in a moment, that those pieces of legislation are the vehicles for important affordable housing and community development incentives. So I think, you know, knock on wood, we'll, we'll have some progress through the course of this week. Great. Thank you for that, Peter. And as we record this on Tuesday morning, kind of early, we're thinking we'll either get results, some bill today or tomorrow. But you know, by the time this recording is posted, there's probably going to be some update in terms of when we'll actually see some draft legislation. 
Now, over the past several months, there has been a lot of talk about the possibility, and as I mentioned in my intro to the podcast, about attaching additional provisions to extend or expand various community development tax incentives to this government funding bill. So it's something that is near and dear to the hearts of most of our listeners. So maybe you could briefly touch on what you're hearing as to whether or not some community development tax incentives might be attached to this broader funding bill. Yes, indeed. So I think, you know, a lot of potential provisions are actively being discussed. We don't have concrete confirmation at the time of this recording, but I'm hopeful that if you have a deal on an omnibus spending legislation and COVID-19 relief, we are likely to get a 4% for for the long-term housing tax credit. We are likely to get an extension of the new markets tax credit, could be one or possibly two years. I think there is a decent chance that there will be a disaster allocation of long-term housing tax credits, as much as $1.1 billion total for a variety of states that have experienced major disasters receiving individual or uh, individual and public assistance. And possibly those areas might get a special disaster allocation of new markets tax credits. We're also hearing that there are under active discussions, although this is challenging, for an extension of the production tax credit for renewable energy and, and possibly an extension of the uh, investment tax credit for renewable energy. Although, you know, again, details on that are not yet concrete. And then last but not least, we've heard there's a remote chance. It's not going to be an easy lift, but it's a possibility that the 50% test to qualify for 4% local housing tax rates might be lowered. So those are the items we're looking at. Great. Thank you for that, Peter. And I will uh, just share with our audience that to the extent some or all of these provisions do make its way into a final bill, we will do a bonus podcast <laughs> and have you back once again to discuss more specifically what is included. And then we'll also be scheduling a more in-depth webinar Now, the other thing we've been keeping our eye on is the COVID-19 economic relief bill, which, as uh, we've discussed before, does appear to be gaining some momentum. And such a bill reportedly would contain $25 billion with a B in emergency rental assistance. And that emergency rental assistance would be distributed via the Coronavirus Relief Fund. And that relief fund was originally established by the CARES Act earlier this year. This is obviously something that's very much needed uh, across the country, this funding. I was wondering, Peter, please give us an update as to what this looks like and why this version uh, has more support than bills over the past several months. It's been sort of a roller coaster on COVID-19 relief for a while now, and we've gotten ups and downs in the negotiations. But I think the most recent positive momentum recently is was prompted by the release of the problem solvers and Gang of Eight, a compromise outline on COVID-19 relief of uh, uh, $908 billion. I think that sort of really kick-started the latest phase of negotiations and provided a, an opportunity for House and Senate leadership to negotiate negotiate. And there's still many important details yet to be ironed out. But we understand that the, probably by the time this podcast is posted, there will be legislative details on the $25 billion in emergency rental assistance. Uh, but we've heard so far that it will be delivered via the Coronavirus Relief Fund, which was just a quick reminder, Congress did provide $150 billion in the CARES Act to state governments, tribal governments, and local governments governments of at least 500,000 in population or greater. And that rental assistance, that $25 billion is supposed to, Treasury is likely to put out guidance to prioritize households earning 50% of AMI or less. The legislation 
is reportedly includes a one-month extension of the CDC eviction order through the end of January. And it also uh, includes $300 a week in expanded unemployment insurance. And uh, one you know item that is actively being negotiated and may or may not make it in, depending, is a stimulus checks of $600 per single tax pair and $1,200 for a joint, as well as $600 per qualifying child. So uh, that's something that uh, we're all keeping an eye on. And again, it's not a done deal, but I think there has been some you know, positive momentum of, uh, as of late. Great. Thank you, Peter. We did discuss earlier how there could be various tax provisions incorporated in the omnibus spending package if it does sort of come together. What are the chances that this COVID-19 relief bill, if it does pass separately, uh, that it would include community development provisions beyond what we just discussed with respect to the $25 billion rental assistance? You know, the fate of the COVID-19 relief bill has been important for those community development tax incentives because I think many in Congress believe that they can't deal with uh, having tax proposals done without addressing COVID-19 relief. So even if they're not officially a part of the same piece of legislation, they've been linked in policymakers' minds. I think the fact that we have that positive momentum behind a a COVID-19 relief bill has been good for the various uh, community development tax provisions, because I think it makes it more possible that those will go forward in whatever vehicle, whether it's, you know, one big piece of legislation, which I think with every day that we get closer to December 18th is more likely, given that that's not easy to process legislation through the Senate very quickly. So I do think that the progress that we've seen on COVID-19 has been good for community development. So we've been talking about the House and the Senate passing a spending bill, talking about you know the House and the Senate passing and coming to agreement on some tax provision, community development tax provisions, as well as COVID-19 relief. What are the chances that President Trump would sign these bills? Is there a chance that he would veto them? I guess there's always a chance. What are you hearing as to President Trump's willingness to sign what the House and the Senate agree to in these areas? You know, that's a great question. Uh, you know, one particular, it's not what we've been talking about, but, but it has been sort of dominating a lot of uh, discussion here in Washington, D.C., is the annual defense policy bill and authorization. The president has actually actively discussed vetoing uh, that legislation, which has traditionally has happened for the past 60 years straight uh, and was passed uh, by Congress last week. So Congress maybe have to take uh, up a veto override if President Trump does go ahead and and veto that defense authorization bill. So this is certainly a question, but we understand from everything he said so far to date that he wants a COVID-19 relief bill. And as far as uh, appropriations, he did sign the one-week extension of the CR, and he wants, reportedly in the context of making that announcement, he said he does want to see a robust, longer-term spending bill. So uh, we're we're hopeful that uh, if Congress can strike a deal on those pieces that you will end up signing. They may need some time if the details are not entirely worked out by, I would say, Wednesday. It's probably going to need more time. They might have to pass yet another continuing resolution to say maybe next Wednesday, the 23rd, to have a final passage. But uh, I do think if we get to that point on a, uh, you know, legislation being passed Congress, that we do expect President Trump to sign it. 
Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> so let's now uh, switch topics. Uh, I mentioned earlier how President-elect Biden had nominated Janet Yellen to be the Treasury Secretary, or at least I should say, we mentioned we'd be talking about a couple of key uh, cabinet nominations. Janet Yellen has a strong resume of high-profile positions, to say the least. Share with me what we expect, what you expect from her as Treasury Secretary, assuming, of course, that she's confirmed, which all indications are she would be confirmed. We've already heard from many key Republicans that they believe she is worthy of confirmation. So we don't expect any challenges there. And she does have a, uh, you know, a fantastic resume. She was Clinton's chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. And then under President Obama, she was chair of the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. So she will be, if confirmed as Treasury Secretary, the first person ever to have all three positions, uh, economic policy positions. So a very clear, strong uh, history there in a federal economic policy making position. I will also just note that she has, has a strong history of, of remarks and speeches on the Community Reinvestment Act. As the chair of the Federal Reserve Board of Governors, that's one of the three main federal regulators overseeing the Community Reinvestment Act. And so she was a strong supporter of CRA in that role. And we expect her to continue to press uh, for further improvements to the Community Reinvestment Act. Even if the Treasury Secretary doesn't have a direct role, she certainly can be a strong cheerleader for that. And in the context of those remarks, she did also mention support for the long-term housing tax credit, the new markets tax credit. So we certainly expect her to continue that and to implement uh, you know, the Biden's platform, which does call for an expansion of the long-term housing tax credit and making new markets tax credit permanent. And uh, that I can imagine will be a part of her agenda next year. As you mentioned many times, Mike, it's very common for a president in their uh, first year of inauguration to have a piece of major tax legislation, and, and Janet Yellen will be very much leading that charge, and we're very glad to, that uh, she'll be there you know, pushing for community development tax incentives. Great. Thank you, Peter. And also, just so our uh, audience knows, if you haven't noted this, if you follow me on Twitter, you've seen that I've already retweeted it. But we did post a blog post uh, a number of years ago, seven years to be exact, uh, when uh, Janet Yellen was named the chairmanship of the Federal Reserve Board. Her views with respect to long-term tax credits and new market tax credits and some of her comments on those incentives and various speeches she had given. So I'll retweet that blog post that's worthy of revisiting. So let's move away from Treasury Secretary, which is obviously very critical to tax incentives, and focus a bit on housing. We have Janet Yellen as Treasury Secretary nominee, and there's another key position. Biden nominated Representative Marsha Fudge as HUD Secretary. So maybe share with me how surprised you were. Uh, she wasn't on, on the list of commonly mentioned potential candidates for HUD Secretary. Tell me you know, what you're hearing as to her selection and any other thoughts you have about her as HUD Secretary. So she was a bit of a surprise. As you mentioned, Mike, she was not on the shortlist being mentioned by a variety of uh, sources. And indeed, she had been mentioned quite consistently up until her you know, nomination was leaked that uh, she was pushing for being uh, Biden's agricultural secretary. She is on uh, the Agricultural Committee in the House uh, and had a strong history of pushing for and support of food stamps or uh, 
I suppose I should say, you know, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program or SNAP, which is the official name for food stamps these days. And so we all had sort of assumed that that's what she was gunning for and that there would be other candidates for HUD. But President-elect Biden announced his nomination for uh, agriculture to be Tom Vilsack, who was the agricultural secretary uh, in Obama administration. When that sort of, I guess, opportunity was foreclosed, Biden did say he wanted to appoint uh, Marsha Fudge to his cabinet. And I think the next sort of logical position that she have a history for uh, would be HUD. And she is a former mayor in Cleveland suburbs. And so, you know, she has experience on some of the programs that HUD administers. And she has supported housing proposals over the years. And, and one key one, I feel duty-bound to note, is that she is a co-sponsor of the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act. And although HUD doesn't have a direct role in administering the low-income housing tax credit, it's great to know that she supports that. And certainly uh, having a HUD secretary who is engaged on the housing credit, I think is great. And so, and the, the housing various trade associations have all uh, applauded the choice. And I think, you know, certainly we expect that she will be a strong voice for affordable housing in the Biden administration. And we don't anticipate opposition. We haven't heard yet from Senator Pat Toomey, who is the likely to be the next top Republican on the banking committee, which will consider uh, Representative Fudge's uh, nomination. We do know that, of course, how that nomination will be considered is going to be affected, as we mentioned previously, uh, by the Georgia runoff elections, which will determine the majority in the Senate. And, and if you know Democrats take win both of those runoff elections, I can imagine that the the uh, nomination will go smoothly. And uh, if not, we, we don't. Again, I don't. I, I haven't heard opposition to her candidacy. So I do still expect that she will be confirmed. Um, I just we haven't heard the same response that Janet Yellen has about Treasury Secretary. Right. Thank you for that, Peter. Now, you know, Dr. Ben Carson has been head secretary for virtually all of President Trump's term. I can't help but wonder what difference Representative Fudge uh, would have taking the head secretary, becoming head secretary, and what directional shifts there might be. Do you want to share some initial thoughts on that or would you rather wait a bit? I think one of the things that I would expect is that she's going to push for as much HUD funding as possible. And I think that you know one advantage she'll have that Secretary Carson did not have is that there was the uh, strict spending caps under the Budget Control Act that was initially established in the under the Obama administration and have constrained the ability of Congress to provide uh, funding to HUD. And, and having that freedom, you know, of not having the strict spending caps might provide her more opportunities uh, there. Uh, We'll just have to see. Clearly, I don't think even if Democrats do take both of those Georgia Senate races, it's not like there'll be, I don't anticipate a dramatic increase in odd resources, given that we still have things like the debt ceiling and various other concerns, given all the various stimulus spending that already has swelled the budget deficit. But we'll just have to see, you know, what or she spends some time. Certainly, there'll be some time reversing some of the regulatory uh, changes that Secretary Carson have, and, and that will take some of her attention as well. But we'll just have to see uh, going forward. 
Great. Thank you for that, Peter. I think I'm going to bring this portion of the podcast to a close here before I exit. I think we're going to have you back. <laughs> we'll see what happens in terms of legislation getting passed this week uh, and or early next week, depending upon whether or not the omnibus uh, pulls together, whether or not there ends up being another continued resolution, whether or not COVID-19 relief comes together by Friday, whether or not it gets delayed. But at some point in the next uh, week or two, we'll have you back to summarize what actually did happen. And once we bring you back, I want you to share with us what did happen a little bit more detail, as well as things to be thinking about between now and President Biden's uh, inauguration. But let's take a pause now, and we'll have you back shortly. Great. Thanks, Mike. And thank you again for joining us. Now, to our listeners, we have one more podcast officially lined up for 2020. As I noted, we're going to have a bonus podcast with Peter at some point when the time's right. We're uh, subject to the congressional calendar and the congressional schedule, not our own. But next week, uh, we are going to talk with my partner, Rich Larson, about HUD's rental assistance demonstration or RAD program, including what we can expect under a new administration. If you work in public housing or if you work in affordable housing more generally, you're certainly going to want to tune in for our conversation. Also, Rich is the conference chairman at the Novogratic 2021 RAD Public Housing Virtual Conference. That's coming up next month on January 14th and 15th. If you work for a public housing authority, if you're a developer that works with public housing authorities or an investor, syndicator, or other affordable housing practitioner, you'll want to be sure not to miss our once a year RAD public housing event. I will include a registration link in today's show notes, which are available at www.novoco.com podcast, and I'll tweet it out as well. And as always, you can keep in touch between now and then by following me on Twitter or being registered for our breaking news alerts or both. My Twitter handle is at Novogratic, and I'll share the link to register for our breaking news in today's show notes. I'll tweet it out as well. That's it for now. Thank you again, Peter. I'm Michael Novogratic. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratic and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogratic and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.